So we start this sermon series and um, let's start and with this text from the Gospel of Mark. And um, as Sean mentioned, the Gaithers had wrote this song, uh, Help My Unbelief. And where did that come from? Well, it came from this particular text, because this is where we find it. In the Gospel of Mark, the, it's a great story. So um, uh, hear these words this morning from the ninth chapter. So when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them, and some scribes arguing with them. And when the whole crowd saw him, they were immediately overcome with awe. And well, they ran toward ran forward to greet him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I, I brought you my son. And he was, well, he has a spirit that makes him unable to speak. And whenever it seizes him, it dashes him down and he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. And, and I asked your, your disciples to cast it out, but they couldn't do it. He answered them, you faithless generation, how much longer must I be among you? How much longer must I put up with you? Bring him, bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, immediately it began to convulse within the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled around, foaming in the mouth. And, and Jesus asked the father, how long has he been like this? And he said, well, from childhood. It has often cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But, but if you're able to do something, have pity on us and help us. And then Jesus said to him, if you're able, all things can be done for the, for the ones who believe. And immediately the father of the child cried out, I believe, but help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to him, you spirit that keeps this boy from speaking and hearing, I command you, come out of him and never enter him ever again, exclamation point. After crying out and convulsing, I mean, terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and was able to stand. And when he had entered the house, the disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we cast him out? And he said, this kind can only be cast out through prayer. This is the word of God for the people of God. Uh, thanks be to God. Amen. Amen. I believe, but help my unbelief. What a great story. I mean, think about this as I was, once again, when I woke up this morning, I was reflecting you know, about three o'clock this morning, I was thinking about this sermon. I already preached it last night, and then I started thinking about the magnitude of this situation. This is such a powerful, powerful story. I mean, here's this, this father, and has got this young boy, and he's um, been just possessed, and he's at his wit's end, and he is literally desperate, and he comes to Jesus' disciples and says, can you please help me? and they can't help him. And then finally, he's confronted with Jesus, and Jesus says, how long has he been like this? And well, he's been this his whole life. Once again, you hear the desperation, this father's voice, and then he says this great line, he says, I believe, but help my unbelief. Wow, haven't we all been there at some point in life, especially when we've been at the life, maybe the end of our rope, Lord, I, I believe, but just please help my, help my unbelief. So we're on this journey together for the next uh, few weeks, and so we're going to talk, and here's some of the things that we're going to be looking at when, if we, you know, by the way, as Ellen mentioned, I think we all have wrestled with doubts at some point in our life, 
Does God really exist? Is the Bible really true? Is Jesus the way? Why do my prayers go answered? And why do bad things happen to good people? For example, um, last week, you, you saw on the national news um, a terrible story of um, Elsa uh, Fletcher, who's the 34-year-old mother, and we got a picture of her. She's just a jogger. And she was in Memphis, and um, 4.30 in the morning, she was jogging, and someone abducted her and tragically killed her. How do we make sense of that? And so once again, when, when people see this on the news and people begin to scratch their heads and say, well, you know, how could a, you know, a merciful God allow that to happen? And it's a really powerful question, isn't it? So we've all have wrestled with doubts. What's very powerful when we think about life is that, um, you know, doubt can actually, um, it's not really necessarily a bad thing, and doubt can actually be a good thing. I mean, doubt, as I think about it, uh, doubt can push us to ask really good questions. Um, it, it can push us to, once again, we, we believe and we ask ourselves, but then we have to ask ourselves, why do I believe that? Or if I doubt something that, once again, it pushes me to push the envelope and ask myself an even deeper question to be able to possibly push me further into a deeper relationship with God. So once again, a crisis happens and we go through something. And so either, and I shared with you before, either the crisis that goes in our life, it can either push us away from God or push us closer to God. And so we find this great story today. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. But also doubt can also push us the other direction. And it, it could be a bad thing because all, sometimes in life when something happens and we end up scratching our heads and asking ourselves, why did this happen? I can't believe this can happen to me, Lord. Or I can't believe it happened to someone else. And, and we have this, this sense of doubt and begin to question God. And we say, you know, and it could be a bad thing in that it can stifle us. It can render us paralyzed, it could literally, literally find us ourselves stuck. And so doubt can be a, a positive thing, can push us to ask deeper questions, but also can lead, lead us literally stuck in life. Faith, faith does not mean never having doubts. I, I love what Hebrews writer said, faith is the reality of what we hope for, the proof of what we don't see. Hebrews 11, 11, 1. I found this quote this last week I was reading, and it comes from Eyes Genesis. He says, so this, if ours is an examined to faith, we should be unafraid to doubt. If doubt is eventually justified, we are believing what clearly was not worth believing. But if doubt is answered, our faith has grown stronger. It knows God more certainly, and it can enjoy God more deeply. So how many of us have ever had experience in our life and we've come across something and go, I doubt that? True story, the other day I get, a, um, I get this letter in the mail about a month ago and um, it was inviting me along with all the other, many people in my particular neighborhood. I live in, um, in the fairways. We lived there for the last 11 years and so we have really been blessed because our, that when we bought the house, our house, it really is right, butts up right against this, actually it was a golf course and um, it was a, pri a private golf course and so we were blessed and so there's no fence. You can actually just see the trees. You could see the golfers going by. That's not in the villages, it was a private course. And, and so um, about, I don't know, three or four years ago, um, the golf course evidently went belly up and so the people who were running the golf course decided not to make a golf course anymore and so it kind of grew up and it, it became more of kind of like a wooded area and sometimes somebody would come and mow the grass a little bit, but when I mean, you could watch the, you know, it was beautiful. It really is a beautiful background. 
And so um, I got this letter in the mail and it said, we wanna invite you to a town hall meeting and um, we are basically develop. we're planning on developing and putting 372 houses in your backyard. I thought, oh goody, this is great, right? And so I got the letter along with many of my other neighbors who were right along that particular line. And so I said, well, you know what? I'm going to that meeting because I want to hear what they have to say. And so there are smaller houses, there, you know, and so they're single family homes. They're actually very tightly wedged in this particular, because I know, I know why they want to do that, because this developer who's out of South Florida wants to maximize his profits. I understand that. So I go to the team, this town hall meeting, and you know, I, I arrive way I'm wired. You know, the meeting's at five o'clock. I show up at five o'clock. It's, I don't show up at 4.59. I don't show up at 5.01. I show up at five o'clock. Well, the room's packed. Matter of fact, you could cut the tension in the air with a knife because all my neighbors were all so pretty miffed. And so the, when the, so the people get up and they put, well, we're here to be able to show you kind of what we're going to do. And they're all excited about this, right? And so they're out, for, once again, from South Florida, and they put it up on the screen. They're going to be talking about where they're going to put the houses and where they're going to put the, where the amenities are and put certain things. And it turns out right where by my house is where they're probably going to put a pickleball court. And I thought, this is wonderful. And so this is great because I'll be waking up at seven o'clock in the morning, people playing pickleball and, you know, and bing, ping, 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 you all know that. And so I, I, I was, you know, so then, so the first questions were, why can't you just put it back into a golf course again? What are you going to do about the burling owls out there? They're endangered species and about the gophers. I mean, what, what are you going to do about the, well, there's sinkholes back there. What are you going to do about, and by the way, what are you going to do about all the traffic? I mean, the traffic's already bad enough on the front of our, uh, in our particular neighborhood. What are you going to do about that? And so they began to try to answer those questions the best they could. And they kind of hemmed a hall and went around, right? So then, and, you know, I just couldn't let it go because Harold has got to be Harold. And so there are, there's all these people, and they start peppering them with all these questions. I let it go for about a half an hour. And then I, I asked the question, that just about everybody in the room wanted to ask the same question, but they hadn't asked the question. I raised my hand, I said, hey, hey. And, and what was very interesting before I asked the question, one of the, the realtor who was actually brokering this deal gets up and he talks about how he had been in the Wildwood community his whole life. He loves Wildwood. He thinks it's the greatest thing in the world for Wildwood. Of course, he's gonna make a ton of money on this deal, right? So he's talking about how great it's gonna be. So then I asked him this question. I said, hey, Mr. Willerton, let me ask you something. Is this going to increase the value of my property or is it going to decrease the value of my property? And then the, so he goes, well, you know, based on what's happening in the economy and how all the houses are going and how much and how much they increase in value, blah, 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 blah. He says, I think it's going to increase the value of your property. And all of a sudden behind me, there was a gasp in the room. Really? That's what they're all thinking, really? I mean, right, add all this traffic and all this extra congestion, it's really gonna mess with our community and adding these 372 homes is really gonna help us? It's really gonna add increased value to my house, really? And immediately what I'm thinking in my mind, I doubt that. <laughs> and so immediately, so here's the question, I, you know, and this is part of what I'm getting at today when I think about this. We've all asked those questions and maybe in different facets of our life, we ask ourselves, I doubt that. 
Well, see, here's the reality. Do I believe? Well, I doubt that, but then I need to go do my due diligence and ask the question, okay, what else has ever happened? And maybe within communities or similar minded, did it actually increase the value of houses or decrease the value? I don't really know the answer to that question, but according to the realtor, he says it's going to go up. But I'm being a little cynical. I doubt that. We've all asked those questions. But the question is, have we done deeper to answer the question? Uh, so here, here's another thought. Um, I was reading this last week. Um, back in the um, late 1800s, there was this organization. It was called the KKK. And then all of a sudden, there was, it kind of started dying out. And then there was a resurgence, guess what? Back in uh, 1922. And in 1922, the KKK became a movement. Once again, a, a greater movement. And there was actually 6 million people that joined the KKK across America. And, and so to me, it was, it's an amazing, it's a very interesting story. And what I found out this last, I did not know this, but they put out this propaganda and they had these brochures. And then within the brochures, they talked about, in the brochures, this is what they printed in the brochures back in 1922. To preserve this great nation for, for its native born through Christ, Jesus, our criteria and character. That was on the, that was on the, pamphlets evidently of the KKK back in 1922. So what's amazing to me is that once again, in a very manipulative way, they've taken Jesus and they put Jesus in their propaganda back in 1922. And so there were evidently there were millions of people who never asked the question and actually put it through the Jesus filter. Because if they really have truly would have asked a question and actually saw this on their, on their pamphlets, and maybe somebody should have scratched their head and said, you know what, I doubt that. Uh, is that really true? Because see, if I read the gospel, everything about Jesus Christ has absolutely nothing to do with what the KK represented. KKK represented. It was all about hatred and bigotry and, and um, mistrust and manipulation. And there's this... Un, it's just awful, awful, awful stuff that's happening within the KKK and pro, um, actually provoking terror in people's lives. So then you, you take that and then you weigh it out against Jesus Christ and it's the opposite because Jesus wasn't about bringing terror in people's lives and fear in their life and hatred in people's lives. Jesus is about offering love and hope and grace and mercy and trust this is what Jesus is all about. So they took Jesus and they manipulated Jesus and they brought him into the propaganda in order to win people over into their side. And it was just awful. And you know what? It was evil. And the, the thoughts that came to my mind on my run this morning at six o'clock, Jesus pegged it. He says, ultimately he says, the devil is the author of all lives. Can amen on that? The devil is the author of all lives. So it was amazing to me back in 1922, no one ran it through the Jesus filter. No one began to scratch their head and say, you know what? I doubt that. It just doesn't seem true to me. So I was thinking about this this last week and once again, reflecting upon it. And so what I love about John Wesley and our theology, John Wesley had his own filter and the filter had everything to do with Jesus. And, he, and he, this is the way that he ultimately began to think about what do we really believe and what can we really trust? And so Wesley back, back around 1722, actually about 1726, Jesus, uh, uh, Wesley came up with this idea and we call it the Wesley Quadrilateral. He says, first of all, does it hold up to scripture? 
Does it hold up to tradition? Does it hold up to experience? Does it hold up to reason? Scripture, tradition, experience, reason. Scripture, tradition, experience, reason. Scripture, tradition, experience, and reason. So first of all, when it comes to kind of a, do I really believe this? Does it really hold up to, to the scripture? Does the Bible really say something about that? Yes, okay. And you look at, the, at Jesus Christ, everything was about Jesus, about love and grace and hope and forgiveness. There's a thought. And then does it hold up to tradition? Of course, we have traditions in our church, in the United Methodist Church, but we have the tradition of the ancient church, the, the beginning of the universal church. And we have, we just recited the Apostles' Creed and we, we have the Nicene Creed and we have all these beautiful creeds. There's just something about our belief that there's this part of our tradition of our Christian faith that goes back 2,000 years ago. Does it hold up to that? And does our experience obviously tell us something about the way that we live? My experience is a little different from your experience, but you listen, there's this thing called the gift of the Holy Spirit. Can they amen on that? And how the Holy Spirit embraces our lives and impacts our lives, speaks truth to our life. We all come from our own different experiences in life. And so, you know what? We come to this place in our lives that my experience tells me, yes, this is true. So we got scripture, tradition, experience, and reasoning. You know, the good Lord's given us a mind and we have to use it. To be able to reason things, does this mainly make sense? As I push the envelope, as I continue to ask the questions, do I have a clear understanding about what I truly believe and what I don't want to believe, right? So when I look at all this, this is kind of how Wesley formulated. And you know, here's the beautiful thing. There is this thing called what I, I mean, some people would say, well, Pastor Harold, you need to prove it to me. Within a doubt, well, there's, there's a mystery to life, I mean, if there wasn't mystery to life, let me tell you something, life would be pretty boring, right? There is a mystery to life. True story. And I, I started asking myself, once again, I started doubting myself about reading, preaching the sermon this week. And so what was very interesting, because I realized, you know what, this whole thought about, you know, does God really exist? Well, you know, I realized that most of I'm preaching to the choir. And then last night, as I finished the sermon, I'm walking out the door and I had this person come up to me. He says, Harold, you know what? I need for you to prove it to me. He says, I really don't believe in the everlasting life. Wow. So he says, I'm gonna go away, but I'm gonna come back and I'm, when I, um, I'm, I'm going away for a few weeks, but when I come back, can I have an appointment with you so we can talk a bit more about everlasting life? Maybe that's the reason why I need to preach this sermon. So there is a mystery to life, isn't there? I mean, you, I, I love this, this part of the, of the mystery of life. I, you know what it immediately made me think about? One of my favorite all-time movies, besides Forrest Gump, <laughs> is Indiana Jones and Search of the Holy Grail. I, I love that movie. There's just something about it. I, I just love that movie. And what's interesting about the movie is you remember, and I think we got a picture. Can you put the first picture? So there's this place that, you know, he, Indiana Jones gets to, what, you know, he's on this, there's this chasm and he has to get to the other side in order to get to the Holy Grail. But then the, the, in order, and you see the little lights falling over there because they have to literally take a leap of faith. And as he's reading his diary, he realizes in order to be able to, to, be able to get from one side to the other in this story, he had to have a, take this leap deep of faith. And I thought, wow, this is so appropriate. So anyway, as we, we find this particular story, so then there's, can you show this next picture? So then Harrison Ford literally puts his hands on his chest, Indiana Jones, and he says, Lord, just, you know, I, I've, he takes this deep breath and he takes this leap of faith. And all of a sudden as he takes the leap of faith, then can you show this next picture? Then he ends up finding there's actually a bridge there. 
but he had to be able to ultimately take the leap of faith, right? In order to get to the other side, in order to get to the Holy Grail. And what I love about this, as a matter of fact, I love this movie so much, I actually went out and I bought the movie prop of the Holy Grail. This is the actual, what it looks like in the movie, right? And I love that. And what I love, I think, is one of the most classic lines in the whole movie is when Harrison Ford or Indiana Jones says, and he looks at all the different chalices. There's one, there's one with all these emeralds and gold. And he says, and he picks out the simplest one. He says, this is the chalice of a carpenter. So then when I think about this in perspective, there is some places in our life in which we have to take a leap of faith. And, and so I, I started asking myself, okay, we're in places in my life, and you all can think about in your own life, where have you maybe named your top three leap of faith in your life? Can you go back and just think mentally, I mean, what would be the, maybe the top three times in my life that I literally take, took a leap of faith? So mine would be, number one would be probably going into ministries. I'm thinking, I had no clue how to do it. I had no idea what I was doing. I know that I knew what my father went through and I watched his experience, but I knew it felt like God had called me in the ministry, but it literally truly me was a leap of faith within a shadow doubt, number one. My number two was actually getting married and I bless her heart, my wife took a huge leap of faith to marry me. Can I amen on that? This is huge, right? Huge leap of faith for her to, you know, we, you know, it took me nine years to convince her to marry me. True story. Not making that up. So then she comes to me, and we've been married six months. She says, Harold. And I said, well, honey, she says, we need to start a family. And I said, well, honey, we have no money. <laughs> and she says to me, and I'll never forget this, this is the closest, classic Donna Hendren line. She says, Harold, we will never have enough money. And guess what? Nine months later, we had Olivia. <laughs> yeah. What are your top two or three leaps of faith? Here's my, number, here's my next last one. It was not only, so mine are like almost little bookends. Mine was, the biggest one was to go in the ministry, leap of faith, and my, the, the other big bookend was, is I took a leap of faith to stay in the ministry because I was about to throw in the town. And that's a true story, leap of faith. So where in your life, I mean, once again, there's this great mystery to life, and there are times in our life that we, we put together and we ask ourselves, you know, when we have some sense of doubt and we take this tremendous leap of faith. And listen, let me tell you something, we're in great company if you ever had any doubts. Let me just be really clear about that. Let's just go back to the Bible. I mean, you go back and look at the Bible, look at Adam and Eve, and once again, you look, look at how the, 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 the serpent was trying to manipulate Adam and Eve, and that they were, he, he, was, he was whispering in these, these doubts. Well, you know, God's really not going to kill, he's not going to snuff you out, he's just pulling your leg. Go ahead, eat the fruit. You're not going to die if you eat the fruit, don't believe that. Doubts. Advent, well, think about Abraham, Sarah. They were getting weighed up in their years. God just says, I'm going to bless your descendants. And Abraham says, God, I'm about 90. That ain't happening. It ain't happening, right? No, trust me. Right? The old lady's like 80. <laughs> ain't happening. It ain't happening. Doubts. 
Think about Moses and leading the children of Israel out of, I mean, we're in good company if Abraham had don't. Think about it. Moses, you know, the children of Israel. Moses, we've been better. You can't believe you drug us out in the desert. We've been better off just leaving us there. We've been better off being slaves, right? Don't. And even Moses, that place in which God says, strike the rock. God says, speak to the rock and water will come forth. And Moses had his doubt. And he took his staff because he became trusting in his staff and not in the word of God. And he took the staff and he struck the rock and water came forth. And God was not happy with Moses because he didn't trust him. He put more faith in his staff than the word of God. Doubts. You ever had one of these doubts? You ever said, doubt that? I doubt that. Oh, so, so I'm going to wrap this up. I've got seven minutes. <laughs> but who's watching? I'm watching. I've got seven minutes. And we give you the fourth key things I want you to know about doubt and about why I believe that God really does exist. And so here's, the, here's my first little point. And so you can take to, this bank, to, this, to the bank. I really believe this. Someone had to bring order out of chaos. Let me say that again. In fact, I think we could put this up on the screen. Someone had to bring order out of chaos. Can you say that with me? Someone had to bring order out of chaos. And so here, here's, here's, all right, you ready? This is, I love the message. First this, God created the heavens and earth and all you see, all you don't see, earth was a soup of nothingness, a bottomless emptiness, an inky blackness. God's spirit brooded like a bird above the water, waterly abyss. God spoke light and light appeared. God saw the light was good and, it's, and separated light from the day and God named the light day and he named the dark night. It was evening, it was morning, day one. And so what I love about this is that, you know what, we're, God is so much bigger than us. Somebody had to create all this. I mean, this is just amazing to me. Matter of fact, I gotta, I'm going to make a reference to a book, and you all are more than welcome. You can go online and buy it. And I, it's one of the best books I've ever read about this particular subject. And it's called, I don't, matter of fact, I think we have it, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. What a great title of the book. And so what they do is they, they hammer out that why do we really believe in God? And they, have a, a, they go back and they document and they have this great argument about the existence of God. This is a really, and not only do they have the argument about the existence of God, but they also have this great argument of backing the, the gift of the resurrection. If you had any doubts about that. So it's a great book. I, it's a, I would encourage you, maybe you want to read it if you ever had any doubts or recommend it to someone who might be an agnostic or atheist. And maybe you can, that book would help you to be able to convince them, to share with them. And so when I think about it, so I love this. Someone had to bring order out of chaos. Matter of fact, I went back and I saw this. This came from the James Webb Telescope, 32 million light years away. Here, can you show this picture? Amazing. It looks like almost like it just something that somebody actually painted or something. No, this is 32 million light years. Can you see the next picture? Isn't that amazing? Someone had to put it all together. I mean, some scholar or some scientist said, well, of course, it all came from the Big Bang. They call it the Big Bang, Big Bang Theory. Okay, well, you can believe in that or you don't want to believe in that. But listen, if there's a Big Bang, listen, somebody had to pull the trigger. <laughs> and I believe it's Almighty God. That's what I believe. And so, you know, I love what the books, the Bible says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the works of his hands. 
Uh, can you show that picture of the, uh, the sunset? Can that sunrise there? Uh, uh, yeah, I love that picture. You know where that picture's taken? Holy Land, the Sea of Galilee. Jesus watched that same sun rise just on the same Golan Heights. And then the other picture is a picture my daughter took on the other side of Israel on the Mediterranean Sea. Oh, how great God's majesty is. So when I think about that, I, I, I look at the, the whole realizing that I'm just a small little speck on the radar, but I believe that there's a big God that's ultimately created all of this. Number two is this. The reason God, I believe God exists, God doesn't miss the details and I'm a detail. Can you put that, God, can you say it with me? God doesn't miss the details and I'm a detail. Yeah, I believe that, you know, in the midst of all this, every single one of us, there are 8 billion people on the planet Earth and every one of us has got a different DNA, you right? But you know, it's amazing how God ultimately, and I love this particular, matter of fact, Pastor Ellen preached on this the other day she, from Psalm 139. For you created my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am t- fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you. And when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of all the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body and all the days ordained from me were written in your book. Psalm 139. God has woven us together. God is you and I are one of the details in life. In the midst of all this great majesty of life, God's created you and me. And I know in the shadow of doubt, I look back to my own life and my own personal experience. It goes back when I was actually to with a ch- as a child, my father praying with me by my bedside and says, Harold, this is this is, what you, this is what we believe and we prayed and we prayed to God and I remember asking God to come to my heart and as I got older and older and began to ask these questions, God became even more and more real from that original experience being by my, my, my bedside with my father. Over and over again, I've seen how God is truly real and his own personal experience in life. Number three is this. I have seen God work out the details in other people's lives. Can you put that up on the screen? I have seen, can you say it with me? I have seen God work out the details in other people's lives. Once again, I've seen the majesty of God and I see the creation of God and his sunrises and sunset and the 132 million light years away. It's just spectacular. But I've seen how God's worked in my life personally, how God has once again done great things in my life. I experienced that in my own through the gift of the Holy Spirit. But I've also seen other people's lives. I remember my friend, Rainy St. Cyr, who was just going through this dreadful divorce. This is like 20 years and he was on a walk to Emmaus. And I'll never forget this. And when you get to walk to Emmaus, it's your closing ceremony. You can get up and share if you feel like. And this is what he said. He was just so hurting. Him and his wife were over the bitter custody of their children. And he said this, I feel as of today that God has taken me and poured, tur- turned me upside down and poured all the sludge out of me. I'll never forget that. I have seen how God has worked in my life, but I have also seen how God had taken someone who's full of all this bitterness and anger and, and um, defiance and just um, almost the point of hatred, and yet God, once again, has worked in someone's life. I watched it, and, when it's, and this is just one of thousands of experiences over the last 35 years of my ministry. Here's the last one is this, and I think this is the most important. This came to me at 3.30 in the morning about four or five days ago. You ready? God exists because we all have a soul and every soul needs hope. God exists. Can you say this with me? God exists because we all have a soul and every soul needs hope. Yeah. You know, I, 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 there are 8 billion people on the planet Earth. 
Not only do I have different DNA, it's, it's amazing how God has woven us together in our mother's womb. But you know what? Here's the interesting thing. Every single one of us, this is the one thing that we all have in common, right? I mean, it's not our hair color. It's not our skin color. It's not, it's not our DNA. What we all have in common is this. We all have a soul. Don't forget that. Matter of fact, I know for a fact we have a soul because Jesus made it very clear. He made it really, really clear. He says, what would it have profited man to gain the whole world, but he loses his own soul? Can I be on that? What would it profit a man to gain the whole world but lose his own soul? Wow. Jesus spent time talking about people's souls, souls being saved. The idea that soul, your soul, listen, we have this body and it's just going to be an empty shell someday. But our soul is what we find and we believe and we believe it's the truth because of what we, once again, scripture, tradition, experience, reason, we put it all together and says, you know what? I really believe this. I can really believe this. I have put this through the test. I can actually rationalize in my mind that there is an everlasting life and I want to be with Jesus Christ and I want to live with him forever and ever. And I realize that my body is just, once again, it's flesh and blood and it's going to decay and that's the end of me. But some, but here's the beautiful thing. God has given me a soul. Can I amen on that? God has given you a soul. And you know what? What we believe is that God has given me this soul and it's going to live forever and ever and ever with him. I love that. So I close with this thought. Is that I was watching this uh, show the other day, and it was uh, Jeremy Wade. He was this um, biologist, but I really what I love about this show is that he usually does what he calls river monsters. So he's this ex- extreme fisherman. He'll go to like South America and he'll fish for a fish for one month to catch the one fish. Now that's what you call patience. And so he was doing this doc. He was not that this particular show was about mysteries of the deep. And he had this particular person, and, they, and, the, and it was about this person by the name of Salvador. And he talked about how Salvador and some people said, I doubt that. He spent 472 days, 472 days adrift in the ocean. Here's a picture of him. And some people say, I doubt that. Because usually you die within about three days with no water, no food. But he was out off the Mexican border and his engine died and he began to drift. And what's very powerful, and once again, this, when I heard this story list, um, it's, this happened actually about six or seven years ago, but I went back and reread the story and I started, I doubt that. that there's gotta be something fish, fishy about that, right? And so when I went back and reread the story that was actually documented, this is what was an amazing thing. The um, scientists actually saw where he had started and they actually did the scientific proof of how the current ran from point A to point B to the Marshall Islands, and he drifted all the way across the ocean 6,000 miles. And the reason why he lived is because he was a very seasoned fisherman. Even though he lost all his gear in the storm, he figured out how he could catch fish with his bare hands. And the birds would land on his, on his boat in the middle of the ocean and he'd get the birds and he would catch the birds and he ate the birds. And he, this is how he lived for 472 days. An amazing story. And so you can say, oh, well, I doubt that. And so what's very powerful, and, this is, and the reason why I tell you this story is this. Someone asked him, didn't you want to just maybe take your own life? And this is what he said. I did want to take my own life because I felt like I was going about to go crazy. But he says, I knew that I had a soul and I did not want God to condemn my soul. So I was not going to take my own life. And then, he, and then they asked him the question, so how did you do it? And this is his response. He says, I just continue to pray and I continue to believe in God. 
So here's my question for us today. It's a great question from Mr. Wesley. How is it with your soul? How is it with your soul today?